Hey y'all, it's Fred Curtis here at Relentless Love. Welcome to For the Culture, us podcast brought to you by us, where we discuss black history, black life, and black liberation. If you're looking for resources for the movement or how to better understand how lessons from the past can shape our future, this show is for you. No fancy music or anything like that this week. We're going to up production value for sure while we work to get some copyright permission from some other music sources. But for now, really dig into the content. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, corrections, Feel free to reach out to us, info at relentless.love. Also, if you want to support our work, we'd love for you to visit www.relentless.love. Got new books, new merch, a whole lot of good stuff. Check us out. Co-host Fred Curtis, we got our co-host here, Kelly Dawson from uh, Built Different You, Relentless Love, you know, soon to be. I'm ripping, I'm ripping today. Yeah, man, yeah. Hey, I better get to know him now, soon to be DB coach at the uh, University of Alabama. Shout out, Nick. Nick. <laughs> uh Kelly, happy Black History Month, man. How you doing out here, brother? Doing, um, doing all right, man. Had some, yeah. you know, life, life, life hits you sometimes, but <laughs> can't can't complain about much. I'm living, I'm breathing, I'm healthy, so I'm, I'm all good, man. The fam is yeah. all good, so that's what matters. Hey, I guess. Yeah. No, I go back up. No, I was just saying everything good. Everything good. As long as I'm good, we're healthy, family's healthy. Hey, I can't complain, man. <laughs> Making money. Hey, hey. move over my head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to Not say, much man, to complain this, about. Time, this time the pandemic, everything going on. So I know, I, I man. I got money coming in. I got a house, family healthy. Uh, you know, we yeah. try to count the blessings. <laughs> exactly, man. <laughs> oh, that's what's up, man. I mean, I think one of the things, a lot of people can't say this, um, you know, I was, I, what has really sort of been a sense of encouragement and I guess sort of inspiration, motivation for me is just like the ons, onslaught of new films, especially like black, black centered uh, film that has dropped or is dropping um, in the coming weeks or whatnot. And I know for both of us, computers making noise, um, Judas and the Black Messiah was, was one film that I, I think, you know, we were looking forward to a lot of people we're looking forward to. I mean, I think it was supposed to come out last August. So I've been excited about this movie for years. Um, and and obviously finally dropped last weekend. I know we both had a chance to watch it. I've ac- I actually watched it twice. I was that uh I was that just enamored and looking forward to it. But um, you know, I think we just want to take this episode to do a little bit of exploration, just you know, looking back, you know, definitely in the context of the film, but also in just, you know, leaders and pioneers of the 50s and 60s and the civil rights era, which I think is necessary to continuously remind people that was not that long ago. Like if you were born in 1960, you are only 60 years old. Like I think like people think, oh, that's, that's so, you're so old. Like, bruh, six, like 60 years ago is not, when you think about the arc of human history and like yeah. how long time really is, like that's not that long ago. And so- And it seems, I- <laughs> My mind, I still think 1970 is 30 years ago. <laughs> no, facts. Me too. Me too. I think the 90s were 10 years ago. Every time I think 10 years ago, I'm like 1996. Exactly. 1970 seems, my mom was born in 73. I still think she's 30. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, I'm, so to say 1960s, I'm automatically thinking 40 years ago. I mean, 60 is still not that long ago, but 40. I automatically my mind goes to 40 years ago and it's not that long ago. No. My grandma, my great grandma is 80. Wow. <laughs> my great grandma is still living is 80. 
My grandparents are 70. Yeah. So both on, on, on two sides of the family, but I'm just, they lived through all of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not that long ago. And I don't even really see history? them as, <laughs> I really don't you know? see them as, you know, old, old, because I just, I see them every day. They've looked the same my whole life to me. But yeah, man, it's not that long ago. Yeah, I mean, the way I try to characterize it for people is, you know, and, and I hate to always tie things back to politics, but like 1960, we're saying 1960 wasn't that long ago. Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, like <laughs> they were all born in the 40s. You know, yeah. The yeah. current president of the United States was, was born in the 40s, bro. Like this stuff is, Mitch McConnell was born in the 40s. Like I hope we, the people who are making policy decisions, like we're born 20 years before the 60s. And so like yes. Pelosi is what, 80? I mean, so I hope that helps. So that they grew up lives. during the, the height. <laughs> not only, not only that the they, grew, they were adults. <laughs> yes. The, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Like they weren't kids watching what was going on in Birmingham and Atlanta with Bull Connor and, you know, Ross Barnett and all Like they were t- adolescents, young adults, like, you know, and, and so I think that's one of the things, and I know we're about to talk about the film, but I, I watched MLK FBI uh, a couple weeks ago, so like the Sunday before Judas came out, and it, it went into a little bit the COINTEL uh, Pro program, which is basically just, you know, the, uh, the Hoover and the FBI, you know, snooping in around not just Dr. King, but, you know, other people who were just such such a threat to America. Finding their business. Right. You know, <laughs> trying to fight for basic freedoms found in the Constitution, you know, because that's what, you know, we pride ourselves on in America. Anyway, um, and one of the things I really, really liked about that documentary, uh, it's incredibly small feat. I wrote about this too, www.relentless.love, is two things. One, they didn't spend a whole lot of airtime um, with, you know, the, the doctorates or the historians on the screen. In fact, I don't think I saw the face of any historian. I love that because the second reason is they showed mostly, if not all color video. And I think that's incredibly important. That's one of the things I love. And it's one of the things I love about some of these, you know, stories being brought back to life in dramatization, but in color is that black and white photos, it wasn't that exactly. Like black and white photos and videos, I think are done intentionally. To, to help us get this thing in our mind. Oh, that was so long ago. Like, oh, it's in black and white. And like, no, you can make a you can make a two, two and a half, three hour documentary about Malcolm or Martin or Megan Evers or whoever else in color. In color. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. But anyway, I know you have some I know you have some deep thoughts about Judas and the Black Messiah. So man, I don't I don't want to prime nothing, man. I'm gonna just I want I want to get your insight. I'm gonna just let it rip. Um, so with me, it was a, I love films in general when I don't know too much information about it or Mm. not, not about necessarily a history film, but just, Hey, I know just a little bit. I know the actors who are acting in it and I'm intrigued by watching it. So Mm. with Judas and the Black Messiah, I didn't know, I didn't look it up. I didn't know what it was about. Um, I just knew the two main characters I really liked. 
And I'm like, I know, obviously it's about Fred Hampton, but I didn't know it was about the infiltration of the Black Panther Party. But I know these two guys, they're gonna kill it in this role. <laughs> yeah. So I wanna watch it. And I knew kind of a, a broad idea of what it was gonna be about. So I'm like, Black Panther Party, of course I'm gonna watch it. So a few points that I took away from it is, for one, the title in general, Judas. Mm. We all know who Judas was. And the, the Black Messiah, he didn't coin that term for himself. <laughs> mm. So the FBI and, you know, um, basically white America called him the Black Messiah, essentially saying, this guy has too much power. He can, he has the power as a Jesus who can just galvanize the entire group. And we're going to work together. Like, this is what I believe. And we're just going to basically fight the power, essentially. So um, the name in itself is like, you know, very telling. So um, that's, that, that's one, that's, that's a big thing I take away from it. Another thing, and this is, I had no idea. I don't think a lot of people, even if you knew about infiltration, I don't think a lot of people knew. The kid was 17 years old, man. Yeah. <laughs> so it's easy. Hey, I, I'm thinking about how I'm thinking at 17. And I did some stupid stuff, you know, in my teenage years. I'm 17 years old and I'm about to get jail time. And you say, hey, come over here. This young black man, hey, come over here. Let's, you know, let's make a plea deal. Do this for us. You'll stay away from jail. Yeah. I don't know. I can't say whether or not I would have took that deal. <laughs> to yeah. be honest, in that situation, yeah. even though I can say, Hey, he was only facing six years. He's 17 years old, man. He's thinking that's six years a long time. You think you're not thinking logically, you're 17 years old. You haven't lived life. Yeah, so you 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 give him a plea deal, like 17, and he still doesn't know the full extent of what he's gonna be doing. He just thinks, hey, I'm gonna give you a little information here and I'm gonna avoid jail time. And then it just got worse and worse to the point where, hey man. Fred Hampton going to jail isn't enough. We got to kill yeah. him. And he essentially killed Fred Hampton. <laughs> he, yeah. he didn't pull the trigger, but he essentially killed him. So I, I, don't, I don't know if, I'm, if I was a 17-year-old kid. I don't know if I don't do that same thing. Uh, that's my second point. Man, the third point, a 21-year-old Black man had white America shook. 20, 20, no, and 21 years old, I'm just worried about how much it costs to get in Club 31 in Carrollton. <laughs> Can I afford to walk at Chipotle? That, that's, listen, that's all I'm worried about in 21. <laughs> that's it. And this man was just walking up to groups and saying, hey, man, I love what y'all doing. Come work with us. Let's work together. Let's feed these mm -hmm. kids. Let's feed these families. Let's arm our people. Let's teach them how to defend ourselves, not go out and just kill people just because, you know, they're against us. Let's defend ourselves, defend what we, um, what we believe in and not, hey, not, hey, just black people, hey, all minorities. Hey, if you're white and you, you disapprove of the, the system, come with me too. So it wasn't, a, you know, the Black Panther Party is majority black, of course, but Fred Hampton wasn't just about, he was just about 
the the he hated the system and whoever wanted to help him get rid of the system or whoever opposed the system, hey, come help. So those are my those are my three huge takeaways, man. Yeah, I mean I I uh I struggled in the aftermath of the film. I watched it Friday night and it was a great film. I was looking forward to it. It, it obviously does not leave you um, feeling very enthusiastic or comforting. So I stayed up for another hour just watching the, just some comedy stuff and just rotting my brain away because I needed that. Um, I, I had a little bit more of, of a background into you know just some of the some of the things with the Black Panther Party and FBI and so on and so forth. Um, I, you know, my, for those of you I don't know, my father's you know relatively militant and has never uh, hid uh, or sugarcoated much to us. So, you know, I grew up reading books about, you know, Stokely Carmichael and, you know, Malcolm X, Fred Hampton, so on and so forth. But seeing it dramatized was was a different level of sort of, you know, feeling, brought about some different emotions and so on and so forth. Um, the 17-year-old FBI informant, Bill O'Neill, um, one of the things that, you know, you saw it in, in written text towards the end of it, um, where they show the clip of the interview. And that very next day, you know, apparently he, he ran out into oncoming traffic. Um, it is believed that his death was by suicide um, after he did that interview that came out. I, I'm, I'm like you. I mean, so the initial, the initial thing that everyone does is say, oh, I would never have done that. I couldn't have done that. I, I, I got, I was putting it to this. I got no love for Bill O'Neill, right? You're not going to see me defending him. However, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I will don't say know. that <laughs> at 17 years old, one, I don't know. And then two, let, let's be fair. There is a world to where he doesn't expect the state to just murder Fred Hampton in cold blood. He's already going back to jail. And so do you think they go in there, try to pin something on him and giving him additional, you know, two or three years, like it's plausible for him to not expect him to be murdered. And, and I think at the end of the day, I think that's what I at least want black folks to understand is that, you know, was O'Neill a snitch? Yeah, sure, you can say that. Um, you know, are, are you right to have some anger or, you know, vitriol directed at him? Sure, but I, 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 I don't think it's fair to say that he knew that the Chicago police, the state's attorney's office, and the FBI were going to assassinate this man in his home. Um, and and I, I think that's the one thing that I think we do have to grapple with a little bit. And because I think what that does is it it does what white supremacy wants us to do, which is blame this young black kid rather than put the blame on the government for even conjuring up a plan to assassinate someone in their home, who has who, who who is going to go back to prison peacefully? Yeah, you know what I'm yeah. saying. Like, so Bill O'Neill side. At the end of the day, right? Hoover and the FBI and the Chicago police and the state's attorney's office were going to assassinate Fred Hampton somehow. So let's make that no matter what. Okay, that, that that was their goal. They were scared. They called him the Black Messiah. They, 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 it's in print, it's in documents, they're declassified. You know, they made the commitment to say, we cannot have a black Messiah, you know, him going back to jail is not enough, so on and so forth. So I, I, I think, and I've seen this on social media, you know, a lot of people saying, oh, Bill O'Neill's a rat, you know, he killed Fred Hampton. 
let's step back a little bit there, right? They would have done that regardless. And so like that needs to be the takeaway is that white supremacy is such an institutional aspect of the American experience mm -hmm. that you had these three different governmental agencies, right? You ever seen a natural disaster? You ever seen, you know, active shooters? You ever seen things that spring up out of nowhere? And the talk is always, oh, these agencies didn't communicate. These agencies didn't get along. These agencies didn't know who was in charge. So you brought the others, the police department, the state's attorney's office, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation to kill this individual. Think of the planning. Think of the, yeah. the, the you know what I mean? It, it's totally contrary. I mean, we're seeing that right now in Texas, right? People don't have power because of deregulation, because of lack of government initiative, because of lack of, of, of both government and corporate planning, right? People don't have power when it's in the teens, where it feels like it's in the negative degrees. And, and, and they coordinated this state-sanctioned murder in 1969, before internet, before cell phones, before social media, right? And so this was a blatant, very planned, intentional, you know, malice of forethought measure amongst multiple government agencies, one city, one state, one federal to kill a person they deem as black messiah. So yes, you cannot, you can have vitriol for Bill O'Neill. I think that's okay. But do not lose sight that this was a state sanction assassination by multiple levels of the state. And I think if we're gonna have one takeaway from what happened and one takeaway from the ending of that movie, I really want that to be what people hang on to. Yeah, and that's, and throughout the, <laughs> my wife and I, throughout the whole movie, we're just like, this is so stupid. Like, I'm trying to wrap my mind. And I, and I know you can't watch that film. And first off, you don't believe the film, you know, it's, you can look this stuff up. It's declassified <laughs> like, you, documents. It's, 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 yeah, like, Literally, <laughs> it's in the record. So yeah, you can't say it's, it's not believable. So you can't, I'm trying to wrap my mind around what is this guy doing wrong for you to want to kill him? Man. And it's not a thing of, okay, that's the first question. Then you think, well, I know the answer. Mm. He's fighting against what is wrong, essentially. And the government knows they're wrong, so they got to get away. They got to get rid of them. Mm. That, that's, the, <laughs> that's the whole thing. So you know you're wrong. You're trying to get rid of the problem or your problem, and you did it. Because if you go back to everybody thought this guy was a hero. Well, every logical person. <laughs> yeah. like he was doing good by his community. Everybody loved him. He was literally an extension of, I don't want to say an extension, but he essentially did what Malcolm was doing. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't tied to religion. Mm. You know, Malcolm S whole movement, supporting the nation of Islam, bringing, you know, <clears throat> he wants black people to come together, but he wants them to join the nation of Islam. But, you know, Fred Hampton, Bobby Seale, you know, all those Black Panther Party members, they're just saying, hey, we need to come together, fight for our people, and that's it. <laughs> hey, point blank, period. And the government said, nah, we don't want you to come together. We don't want you to fight against what's wrong. Uh, we'll just kill you. <laughs> Imagine that, man. 
like so nonchalantly. And I and yeah. like bro, I think I think that's part of the appeal though, and I think that's probably why one of the reasons why they labeled him such a threat and and yes. you know, felt felt like the only thing moving forward was to assassinate him is that there's an appeal to the non-religious aspect of the movement and of the Black Panther Party. Now I say this as someone who identifies as a Christian and thinks Jesus is the son of God. But with that being said, like, you know, <clears throat> Martin Luther King was very clear. I mean, he was a minister. Malcolm X was Nation of Islam. Megar Evers was a, a Christian. You know what I mean? And I, I think part of their fear is you've got this charismatic, organized, you know, guy who's not afraid to go to different groups of people and build coalitions who also is not steeping any of this in any sort of religious textbook. And so therefore, there is no individual who is excluded from this movement, if that makes sense. No. You don't, you don't need to no. worship a certain God or go to a certain worship institution to be a part of this. Like, are you an oppressed group? Come, come join us. And, and I think, you know, that's, that's one of the big things. And, and I don't like to like parrot conspiracies and whatnot, but I, I find it to be troubling that, you know, three things is that I think what happens in America is I think people are fine. I think institutions are fine. I think the white supremacist structure is fine when people continue to separate themselves based off race or ethnicity. But when you have a leader who comes along and identifies who the actual um, enemy is, who the actual oppressor is, which is the white supremacist structure, then it's time for them to go. I don't think it's coincidental that Malcolm X was assassinated shortly after or during the time that he came around. He understood the importance. He of understood it. You know, at first he was right after he got back from Mecca. Exactly. And it all kind of clicked for him. Martin Luther King only got assassinated after he launched and announced the Poor People's Campaign. Right. Fred Hampton builds this rainbow coalition of all the oppressed people and goes to the Mexicans, goes to the white folks, all the Hispanics. And so, you know, I, I'm not going to say, hey, you know, they see these figures turning into leaders of all oppressed people and say they got to go. I'm going to let you draw your own conclusions there. I'm just going to I'm just going to draw I'm going to draw some uh, questioning around the fact that these figures when they go to build organizations and coalitions around multiple ethnicities and individuals who this country has routinely and continues to oppress, why is that the time when they are conveniently assassinated? I think that is a question we have to ask ourselves. So it goes back to, um, I was just watching the, we talked about this before, the James Baldwin <clears throat> short film, I'm Not Your Negro, and he was doing an interview, I don't know what the show was, but I can't even remember the question, but he said something on the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't know if all white people are racist, but I know that essentially there's colors and white signs outside of the building. I don't know if the Board of Education is racist, but I know I can't go to school with white people without being harassed. And he was essentially saying, hey, I'm not saying you're racist. I'm not saying this stuff is this or that. You just draw your own conclusion on the evidence that's presented. <laughs> and that's essentially what you just said. So we're not about, you know, conspiracy or whatever. It's just, hey, this is the evidence. This is presented. Now you make your the own facts. conclusion. <laughs> These are the facts. You make your own conclusion. Now we have three different, um, three different examples. Like you just said, Malcolm, and uh, Fred Hampton, you have Martin, 
all of them were doing something where it was like, hey, I want to work with anybody who believes in this. I'm not excluded. If the only person I'm excluding is if you don't believe what we're trying to do. And it's essentially you're coming on to the good side and we're fighting against, um, you know, oppression, essentially. So if you don't believe in that, then we're not with you. If you believe in that, no matter what religion, race, where you grew up, how you grew up, how much money you have, then come with us. Come on. It wasn't until then that those three guys got assassinated. So you draw your own conclusions, <laughs> mm-hmm. but the evidence is right there. And one of the important things to note there is like, and I say this as someone, you know, uh, who I think is a, I'm a relative historian. I mean, I majored in political science. I, you know, I've studied all this. I got degrees to go. It's not to pump myself up. Yeah, you got shit, degrees. You, know, like, I've, 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 <laughs> you don't I've, just I've read articles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and, and I think what gets lost a lot of the time is the organizational aspect of these groups, but then also the, the diversity of the coalitions they built. Malcolm and Martin and Fred Hampton, Meg, all these different groups, you know, these things, these movements take money. And, you know, do not, do not lose sight of the fact that there were, you know, wealthy white people who supported these things and who helped fund it, fund them as well. And so, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not making any arguments against, you know, being, um, being, you know, concerned or I'm not sure what the word is, but um, needing there to be some validation or for people to really show that they are allies. What I am saying is that I think that gets written out of the textbooks a lot as well. Um, and MLK FBI goes into this a little bit. You know, Martin had a, uh, Dr. King uh, had a had a person that funded uh, a lot of his work who was a white Jew from New York. Um, and, you know, you can probably go down the list of each of these individuals and you can find someone who is a white person who agrees with the message that is being preached. I bring all that up to say, there are people of all races and ethnicities, and that includes white people who recognize the atrocities and the sins that America has committed over the centuries and continue to recognize them. Uh, and so I think that's one of the highlights of Malcolm's work towards later in his life, because he comes to that realization and that conclusion. And this is one of the key reasons why I love seeing civil rights era photos, videos, whatever in color, because it forces you to reckon with the fact that there were as many white people in those crowds as black people. And what it does, I think, subtly, is it it draws out even more the evilness of the folks on the side of the of the fire hoses and and the lynch mobs and and, and the dogs because it's easy to say that's just how things were back then because inherent in that that's just how things were you implicitly think that's just how all white people were right and so yeah, it absolves yeah. them of their sins in the moment. Right. If I say, oh, that's just that was just the thinking then my mind defaults to white people were just racist back then. That's how they were raised. But things have changed. But when you see these videos in color, when you see these photos in color, when you read about some of the folks who supported and funded this, you're forced to reckon with. No, this was very clearly evil. Then this was very clearly sin. This was very clearly racism back then. And there were white people who knew it. There were white people who supported the movement, both practically with their sweat, labor, and money. And so therefore, folks who were not on the side of that support, they actively made a decision to say, no, I'm going to stand by racism, because they had clear examples of people who looked like them, who understood the oppression, who understood the racism, who understood the segregation. And so, you know, I didn't mean to just go down this rabbit hole and draw something so 
my new out. But I, I had to, I recognize that in myself, right? That thinking of, oh, that's just how it was. And naturally you think, oh, okay, well, you know, everybody was like that. You just write it off at the times. And it's like in the same way people are like, oh, you know, that's, oh, slavery was just so long ago. That's just, that's just how it was. People just had slaves. That ignores the fact that there's been an, ab the, the abolitionist movement in America predates the United States Constitution. There were white abolitionists on this land before the US Constitution, before George Washington was president, okay? So this idea that people just get it, just, you know, can, can write away their sins, write away the sins of their families by just saying, oh, that's just how it was, you know? Slavery was part of the economy. It, it is disrespectful and negates the souls, the families, the descendants, the spirits of those who were here in 1700, in 1740, in 1780, who were white, black, and all different colors, you said, you know what? Slavery is wrong. Slavery is a sin. Like those people existed. And I'll link some of this in the comments, but I think like that's one of the things we have to sort of come to grips with because I didn't, then I think what that requires is it requires people who still support these movements today, implicitly or explicitly, to really reckon with where their beliefs and their mindset comes from. Um, and that's something I've been struggling with, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, we can see that today, like all these protests, it's not all black people. You know, if an unarmed black man <clears throat> gets shot, you know, they're, they're, they're protesting. It's not all black people. Now, the why you're protesting, of course, is about that black person, but not all, you said, not all white people are racist. And we, we acknowledge that any logical you know, person acknowledges that. Um, <clears throat> I was talking, um, talking to somebody last week about the fact, and this is what I struggle with, and this is like full transparency. And I think a lot of other, you know, uh, Black people struggle with too. It's hard to distinguish or just separate white America and white people. So. Yes. You talk about white America, obviously you talk about the deep-rooted white supremacy, uh, the institution, government, and all of that. That is essentially, you know, white America. That's separate from, you know, the white man that I teach with <laughs> every single day. That is, that's completely yeah. separate. Or the white kid that I coach. Or any white person that I just, you know, come across with. Now, can they just be evil human beings? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> now they can be, <laughs> but you have to separate, and is is you have to separate white American establishment and uh, or from white people, and I think, and I think inherently, obviously inherently white people aren't racist, but inherently, like let's just say the sixties for example, if you were seeing some of those videos, kids calling, you know. Black adults, the N word or whatever, inherently they just, this is what they do. This is what they mm -hmm. learn. So inherently you can say, um, you know, it's, it is passed down. You learn from your house and you learn from your surroundings and things like that. But when you have your own mind, obviously things change. As you grow, as you learn, things change. So I think obviously nobody's born racist, born of hate and things like that. Uh, we are born in sin, but you have your own mind. 
So you can't say somebody is born, like Malcolm used to call them everybody white devils because of, you know, what they've done in the past. But you can't say this man is a white devil just because he's white. (laughs) Now his ancestors, most of them, some of them were trash. (laughs) Probably, like very likely. Very likely because they benefited from slavery. Okay. And I'm not, uh, this is like you said, I'm not saying, you know, that's just, that was just the times or whatever, but they benefited from it. So, but that doesn't, it, it can pass down from child to child, the family, you know, the family, but it doesn't have to. That's what I'm saying. Like you have your own mind and your own thoughts and, you know, which basically you're, you, you are controlling your own actions. So if you allow what you've always been taught and what you've always seen to basically take control of your mind, then that's on you. But you also have a, a moral obligation to basically decide what's good and what's bad. Mm. So all that to say, white America and white people, you have to distinguish between the two. All right, they're not inherently the same. All right, that's kind of tough when, especially right now, if you, like what I'm doing, and maybe I shouldn't do this (laughs) because of my mental health. (laughs) I've been watching all of these historical black films and it's tough to watch and not literally be like, hey, all these white people are bad. It's tough, not gonna lie. (laughs) <laughs> because you think a FBI took control or basically manipulated a 17 year old black guy to turn on his own people to keep him out of jail. Okay. It's tough to not think, Hey man, these folks are foul and not treat all of them the same, but I know better. <laughs> right. So right. I know how to distinguish between the two. So that's, that's very important. Yeah. I mean, that at 1000%. And I think one thing I've learned, from you know the the amazing folks I have in my life is you know I, I a couple of my mother mother figures are are you know white women you know like I ask them for advice and eat their food and you know <laughs> um, you know all that all that good stuff and and even you know all my friends I'm trying hard not to sound like that well I got black friends uh, but basically <laughs> you know t- the thing I want to highlight is. Whenever I'm talking about, especially as a black person, as a black man, whenever I'm talking about systemic racism, oppression, whatever it is, I never have to not all white people that around them or with them. They, they recognize that by virtue of living in a country that has uh, oppressed and you know committed state sanctioned violence uh, that has disenfranchised black people, that that therefore provides the, 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 the leeway in any sort of logical conversation to just say white people. And they inherently know as people who have been intentional about you know, unlearning any, any racism that they've learned, learning more about the experiences of other people, they don't fit into that criteria. You know, like they, they don't come back, they don't you know, leave a comment under a Facebook post or a tweet and say not all white people they know inherently that they're not included in that. And they therefore know what we mean when we say white people are such and such and such. In the same way, I think you can say the same thing about, you know, the not all men crowd, like women don't need to do that for a variety of reasons, different conversations. Um, But I do think that's been 
one of my struggles too. On top of that, one of the struggles I've been having for a very long time, almost a year now, and it almost just continues to intensify, um, is that same thing in the context of people who call themselves Christians. Um, you know, because I think as you as you dive deeper into, you know, more of these historical films, particularly about the 50s and the 60s documentaries, so on and so forth, is you find that what 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 white America did, what the racist white structure did, was they tied sort of the movement, not sort of, they tied the movement for civil rights, for black liberation, to communism, to women's rights, to so on and so forth, to Marxism. You know, there was this attempt to demonize anything that wasn't middle-class white man. Um, doing it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Precisely, right? And so actually one of the things that happened yesterday and, and it's, it's kind of unnerving and it's upsetting, but um, you know, Brooke Baldwin is, is an anchor at CNN. She's leaving CNN. She announced she was leaving CNN yesterday. There was this tweet from Clay Travis. Absolutely cannot stand I that. saw that. Um, I, I saw that. I can't even. And I try, you know, before you start, I try, I follow him just so I can, you know what? Let me just, you know, just hear more of his views and what, you know, just, I just, I, whatever. I just can't get with him, man. No way. <laughs> but go ahead. Um, go ahead. So there was this tweet. He was on that show years ago. He was on Brooke Baldwin's show. And he tweeted out in honor of Brooke Baldwin leaving CNN, here's the most watched segment of her broadcasting career. Basically the segment is Clay Travis saying that the only thing he believes in America is in the first amendment and boobs, B-O-O-B-S. He says this on live air in front of a, a woman anchor. Um, and he doubles down on it. He does not apologize for it. He does not you know, say maybe I should use a different choice of words. He's on air with a black man and, and, and a woman and just clearly on national TV says he only cares about the First Amendment and a certain part of a woman's body. Yeah. Um, I, I, I quote tweeted that tweet and I said, I bet you can go through these comments and click the profiles and find something like quote follower of Christ or quote Jesus first at least five times in the first 15 comments. So I took three minutes and did it. It wasn't 15, but it took me 20 comments to find yeah. five men on there who had left the comment that was supporting or egging on Clay Travis's, uh, you know, speech or, you know, sexism, whatever there. And they, five men, five white men, all had something along the lines of follower of Christ, Jesus first, you know, God saves. And it's just like, it brings all of this stuff full circle because when it becomes not socially acceptable to say one thing, they just sort of change to another. And, you know, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but Lee Atwater, he was a Republican political strategist. Honestly, from an unbiased perspective, he's probably the best political strategist the country has ever known. I hate that that's the fact. We can, that's a different conversation. Hit me up. But he, uh, he worked on Ronald Reagan's campaign, managed George H.W. Bush's campaign. George H.W. Bush, that campaign is known for just really solidifying the nasty politics that we have. There was this ad called Willie Horton. We'll link it in the comments. Um, and he said, he made a comment about just the changing of sort of the Southern strategy, which is basically just uniting all people who still believe in segregation and still believe that the races shouldn't be mixed, so on and so forth. And he basically made a comment where he said, well, if you can't say nigger anymore, then you change to states' rights, you know? Yep. You know, certain words just become not socially acceptable, so you switch them. And that is what we're seeing now. You can't, you can't, you can't say 
you know, the N word, you can't call women B-I-T-C-H's. You can't just say they belong in the kitchen anymore. So you come on air and you make comments about their body parts. Hello, Donald Trump. Um, or, you know, you come, you come on air and you say, oh, well, you know, the state should be able to decide this. So you come on there and say, we're going to have law and order. And, and I think one of the things we can do, and I know this is primarily about sort of Judas and the Black Messiah and Black liberation and so on and so forth, but you can also, you can distinguish and sift through allies or people who are not allies, even if they identify with you by the way in which they communicate and interact with folks who are part of oppressed groups, right? If there was, a, if Clay Child was a Black man saying that on CNN, it would still be just as distasteful. And I would have huge reservations about inviting him into any Black liberation movement because what we've seen is some of the greatest historical figures who have pushed Black people forward, for Hampton, for example, right, recognized that there cannot be space or room for oppression based off immutable characteristics. And that includes women. That includes Hispanic folks. That includes the farmer, so on and so forth. And so my challenge there is obviously everything we've said before, but coded language is not so coded. And when you run into people who are comfortable, you know, disrespecting others, dehumanizing others based off gender, religion, sexual orientation, whatever, you know, those have to be red flags to coalition building um, as well. I don't even know where that rant came from, but um, that was something that, oh, that jogged my nerves about just my struggle with this whole, just white Christianity in general, yeah. which is American Christianity. Um, and I don't know, I'm not hopeful, man. And I wish I was there, but I'm not right now. And uh, Yeah, man. I'm <laughs> Another thing, uh, and, I, and I just thought about uh, when you brought up, you know, uh, white Christian America, did he say this in the, I'm trying to figure out who said Cause I've, I've watched so much this weekend. I don't know if James Baldwin, <laughs> Malcolm X, or Fred Hampton said it. You can get it in, man. You all right? <laughs> hey, man. You hey, all week, it's, this weekend. It's, oh, it's Black History Month, man. <laughs> <laughs> man. I throw some comedy in there, man. I watch, uh, you know, I watch some Disney with my kid this week, too. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, but one of, one of the comments was basically, um, you can't, I think it was a Black Panther Party. Um, they, they, asked, they asked him uh, about why are you teaching your members uh, Taekwondo or Judo, Judo or, you know, whatever it was, why are you teaching them this? And he, his, 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 his answer was essentially, well, they teach this in the YMCA, they teach this in, in, in schools, they teach this all over the country. But it basically, when a black group does it, <laughs> then now is being questioned. Essentially, saying, you know, how come it wasn't a problem, but now we're equipping ourselves to defend ourselves. Now it's a problem. Uh -huh. So that that was that was one of the big takes I took from it. Like, you, you a lot of those things that were happening. I, I love watching the old interviews. Yes. To just hear the response. It's, it's crazy because I just know the interviewers were like, dang, that make a lot of sense. <laughs> they probably, <laughs> they try their best probably not to express that on their face, but it's yeah. like, and that was a good comeback. Like, I know they hate it. And I just read uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X. 
he said he loved he would he would basically throw the interviewers a bone um mm -hmm. tell them a little say something that they want to ask or like essentially bring up well hey now they, we have a black mayor such and such is a black mayor now such and such is black yeah. something basically so the interviewer will respond well see there's progress we have such and such and he would just lay it on them because they they stopped asking him certain questions because they knew he was articulate enough to just uh -huh. give them a great response he didn't mess himself up <laughs> he knew exactly how he wanted to attack every interview and that's what i man that's what i admire about all these leaders man for one you got to realize this was in the 60s like you don't you didn't talk to white people like that <laughs> without fearing, without, you know, knowing there's going to be some type of consequence. And they were just so bold, man. Like that, all of that, you know, it's just inspired me, not just to fight back, you know, not, nothing like that. It's just, no, just believe in what you believe in and just go after it. That's just, all that's just been inspiring me. This that's why I keep watching. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm just getting inspiration just in my daily life, nothing against, not just trying to fight against oppression or anything like, uh, anything like that. Just I've been getting inspiration from watching these leaders and how bold they were, how how much they studied, how they just tried to help people. So, yeah, yeah man, this is it's been a, an inspiring week for me. <laughs> yeah, man. And then I'm I sprinkled some I'm Aladdin in there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, a little WandaVision, you know, it's all good. Um, <laughs> I, th I think one of the big things for me, is, and, you know, I'm not going to say that that these guys were the, and, and, and women, you know, because we, we need to do another episode probably just highlighting some of the contributions that get swept under the rug that women made to the civil rights movement. But, um, you know, I'm going to say like Fred Hampton was the direct inspiration behind this company, but, you know, I, he, he and, and, you know, other civil rights era leaders embody what it means to, you know, be you, be loved, be relentless. I mean, you know, Fred Hampton, I live for the people because I love the people, you know? Like, I'm going to be myself regardless. I'm going to be relentless about fighting for liberation of oppressed people. You know what I mean? And not to just toot our own horns and use it as a marketing experience, but like, that's the impetus behind what we're doing here, you know? And, and you know, hopefully, hopefully it, it gains some traction, you know, um, quicker than slower. I think one of the things, the final thing I want to highlight is, especially what you drew out is um, I was watching this Black Panther Party documentary from, from PBS um, as well. And, you know, one of the things I think we don't recognize is you can look at almost every major policy or policy omission in this country, and you'll see that it has roots in racism. Uh, so for example, you know, we don't have universal healthcare right now, partly because in the late 40s, there were these propaganda campaigns that would encourage, you know, middle-class white people to not support that because it meant the Jews and the blacks and the Mexicans were going to get something free based off our money. You know, um, so many gun control laws in states like California, Illinois, Maryland, so on and so forth are steeped in racism to keep black people unarmed. I mean, in 1967, I believe, 66 or 67, Black Panthers took a trip from Oakland to Sacramento. They said, we coming up in this thing armed because we are tired of police brutality in our communities. So what was the next step? Legislators tried to put together a bill saying you can't be armed in public. 
went to Reagan's desk. You know, like, I mean, I, I won't get into the weeds, but I, I think that's one of the areas we can start with is if it's overwhelming for you to do deep exploration or research and you just don't have the time, like even just thinking about and then doing quick Google searches as to why certain policies are what they are or why certain things that are common sense as far as improving from a policy perspective aren't in place now, you can see, you'll see so many of those are steeped in racism from education being based off property taxes to some of the crazy stringent gun control laws we have to lack of universal health. I mean, it's, it's, it's a shame that we built an entire country uh, based off at first very explicit racism and now, you know, subtle and sometimes not so subtle racism. Um, and it can be heavy at times, but I don't know, you know, I, I like to think there's still hope for America uh, moving forward. Yeah, man, you, I, I've never, I don't think I've ever thought about all that. <laughs> I mean, you, you're more of a historian than me, but just, I never thought back to look, why is this law, this law? Like certain laws and just where did it come from and how come it takes so long to not pass because some of these laws that need to be, you know, gone away with or some of these laws that needs to be passed, why aren't they being passed? And just like, it's just deep rooted. And it can be kind of a, like a subconscious thing where it's like, I'm not actively thinking about or these, these, these policymakers aren't actively thinking about, are we gonna keep the black man down? It's just so deep rooted. It's just, uh, we don't want that. Well, why? Because it's just not good. But why isn't it? Uh, it's just, <laughs> see what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I can imagine during these meetings, that's how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Because certain things just, it just makes sense. And we're like, why don't we have this? If somebody can do it, then quote unquote, the greatest country in the world, why can't we do it? So, yeah, I never thought about that, man. <laughs> It makes too much sense, man. I'm actually, I found a it quote makes from, too much uh, sense. <laughs> makes too, anything that makes too much sense is not going to happen here. Um, I found a quote from Lee Atwater. I think it's a, a fitting thing. It says, quote, you start out in 1954 by saying nigger, nigger, nigger. By 1968, you can't say nigger. That hurts you, backfires. So you, stay, you say stuff like uh, forced busing, states' rights, and all that stuff, and you're getting so abstract. Now you're talking about cutting taxes. And all these things you're talking about are totally economic things. And a byproduct of them is blacks get hurt worse than whites. And so consciously, maybe that is part of it. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that if it is getting that abstract and that coded, that we're doing away with the racial problem one way or another, you follow me. Because obviously saying we want to cut this is much more abstract than even the busing thing. And a hell of a lot more abstract than nigger nigger, you know? So anyway, you look at it, race is coming in on the back burner. So that's from Lee Atwater, Republican strategist, strategist under Ronald Reagan, campaign manager for George what, W. What, what year was that? This was 1981. <laughs> no, it's 40 years ago. <laughs> right? And so you can just think about all the things you heard just in the last election cycle. We're going to cut taxes. We don't need universal health care. Right? Like, just go back and look at a few, a few ads from this past election cycle. But that comment in mind, you'll see just how much racism is still a part of this American landscape, let alone political landscape. Um, 
I think if you sat back and asked anybody, like let's say, let's just say universal healthcare or any other major political topic, uh, if you ask them, uh, and, and, and both sides, let's just say a, a Democrat as a Republican, why are you opposed to universal healthcare? And don't include these five buzzwords. They yep. won't be able to give you an answer. Yep. Like don't include socialism, don't include com- whatever, these five buzzwords, they wouldn't be able to give you an answer because they have no answer. <laughs> and a lot of people, it's just been deep rooted, as you said. And a lot of people, one, they just don't do their own research. And the buzzwords that I'm referring to are just cop outs of, yep. you know. So, yeah, if, if you did that, a lot of people, I will put 90% of people who are voters wouldn't be able to give you an answer without using those certain words or attaching a label to something if we pass this law. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, so. Hey, we're and, not and going this, is what, this, is why, this is what, come on, man. This is why I struggle <laughs> so much with this. And, you know, like I had somebody, for example, a, a guy that we both know, I'm not going to name him on here, um, but put some status up a few weeks ago talking about Biden supposed to unify people and all this other stuff and all he's doing is being divisive and yada, yada, yada. And so I put a comment on there, you know, like it's not the responsibility of, you know, the party who has, you know, been out of power or, you know, there's been more, you know, I don't know, formally political or whatever past few years, so on and so forth. His response is what sort of shook me and that basically the line that I remember uh, is that it doesn't matter how eloquently something is put, you know, it, it, it's still, uh, it still can be, you know, untrue or, or just an opinion. And basically it was just like, you know, the whole articulate thing. Like he basically said nigger without saying nigger, right? And this is a black guy, you know what I mean? Um, and, and this is what I struggle with a lot with quote unquote Christians is that too many of them are ignorant to where the coded language they use comes from. Um, yes. Socialism is the new word for communism. Communism is what yes. Martin Luther King was called and what other people in the civil rights movement were called and labeled as. And many of them were assassinated, were surveilled under the guise of communism. Yes. Right? Like, and, 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 and my, my struggle here is that y'all don't even know this. You don't know that your brain. Don't even know what the word means. No. <laughs> what is socialism? Couldn't tell you if you asked them. Right, freedom. If you look, what is what is even freedom? if you look, if you sat there and looked up the definition and then look at who you've called is going to bring this country or who wants to be a socialist, it's going to be two opposite things or not mm-hmm. the same exact thing. And then you got to be like, well, maybe he isn't. But of course, no one's going to do that. <laughs> no one wants to do that. No one wants to do that. And I mean, like I said, I. I know it brings a, it's a different level of perspective and thus a different level of just frustration, like having studied politics so in depth, but, you know, I, I, it's, it's easy for me to connect the dots between 1940s and 1950s language and today's language and see just how much of that hasn't changed. Um, like, you know, for example, I always tell people like, you know, all, all the way back in 1948, Hubert Humphrey, he was a vice president of the United States under Lyndon Johnson and then was a democratic nominee in 68. He's still on Democratic nomination platform and said Democratic convention platform said it's time for a civil rights bill. 
It's time for the Negro to, to have equal rights. In 1948, you know, and even that, you know what I mean? And so I, I, I'm gonna be more intentional about like drawing out the truth that these political movements that in hindsight, we like to say, we like to excuse as just so long ago, there were people during these times, there were white people during these times saying, this isn't right. Segregation isn't right. Slavery isn't right, right? Using this coded language of socialism and communism and he's against freedom. Like these are coded things steeped in racism, steeped in white supremacy. And, and you know, one of the cool things now is uh, a cool thing I'm seeing amongst people who call themselves Christians uh, is freedom of religion, right? Our way of life is under attack. You know, our ability to, to worship our God and to gather is under attack. And I want, I want folks to know like, even that is steeped in racism. Thinking all the way back to, you know, the birth of a nation times and the idea that black men were these hyper, you know, sexual uh, beings who just wanted to rape all white women and, you know, who wanted to see, you know, uh, God taken out of the country in the name of, you know, Marxism and non-religion. I mean, like these things are so coded and so steeped in racism. And yep. I, I think that's I think that's part of my struggle is that you hear these people who really think they know what they're talking about. For and this isn't this is we're not meant to do like Democratic Party propaganda here because they're racist too. Different conversation. Um, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. We're not. <laughs> you, you know, so I maybe should have made that more clear earlier. But I think like the, the challenge for me is as a historian seeing what seeing the kind of language you're using in our conversations and being able to connect this stuff directly to the 1800s, the 1920s, the 50s, the 60s. And, and I think one, at, least, at least what I would like to see is folks have an understanding of where these things stem from and how they are helping to perpetuate these violent stereotypes, whether or not they know it uh, or not. I went on a long rant there. Bad, but, <laughs> it's all good, man. Um, <laughs> it's all good. Uh, I mean, shoot, I, I hope folks, you know, listen to this and use it as a catalyst to just sort of learn for yourself. Um, you know, I try to do, we try to do a good job of providing links and references for things that we talk about. But you know, this show is probably uh, definitely less format, more conversational. But obviously, we always say we need more of these conversations, right? So share the conversation with your yeah. friends, families, or whoever, and then do your own research. You know, at least they've been watching documents. Go watch documentaries for yourself. Go watch movies for yourself. Go read the books for yourself. All right. Um, because then you're able to recognize these things. Great thing about documentary, documentaries, they always find context. And yeah. the majority of them, well, they always provide context, my bad. So, and majority of them obviously is leaning towards a certain way, whatever the author or creator wants to go. But you're hearing everything. You're hearing the size, and you're they're pulling up. They're going into these places, pulling up historical data. So this you can't you can't refute it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You just gotta watch it and then make your own assumption. Or uh, so yeah. Don't just don't rely on other people's words. A Facebook you know a Facebook post and just read the headline and not read the article and just. Do your own research, man. 
do your own research. And, and, and this goes for if, you, if, you're polit- if you're in the politics, if you're a Democrat, read some Republican articles. Try to find the mm-hmm. one that's, you know, not that biased, I guess. I don't know, but that's kind of hard to find on both sides because you have yeah, some... Yeah. Just have some publishers who are, they're just going to lean all the way left, lean all the way right. But, yep. I mean, just see what they're saying. Don't just rely on headlines. Don't just rely on a simple share or just somebody's talk, somebody talking. Do your research, especially about this historical data about these coded language languages. Mm-hmm. It's this coded speak, these buzzwords that have always been used. Like, these people were assassinated and because they were quote unquote communists. Yes. We call some of these current politicians and leaders communists today. Mm-hmm. So do just that's all we're saying, man. Do your own research <laughs> and then have an opinion about something after you've done your own research. And don't just read one point of reference. So yeah. Right. Get your multiple references in. And you need to subscribe to our mail list. You can do that www.relentless.love. And the only reason I'm hyping this up is because, like, we're always intentional about including links. And I, and I always try to find multiple links around the same topic. All right. So when I, you know, when I go look up this Lee Atwater quote, I'm going to try to give you two different links so you can take a look. But at the same time, like, and a lot of this stuff is in video format, too. Right. Like yep, you mentioned, yep. you, can you don't have to YouTube. read. You don't even got to read, bro. Just put, put the TV <laughs> on. Put it on YouTube, That's right? It. You can hear these things. You can be on your phone context. just listening. You know, and so it's it's so many ways to educate yourself now and educate yourself fully in its truest form. Like, look, you know, again, as like a, as a historian who knows politics, like I, I totally understand like there is some level of bias to any of my sort of political analysis. I get that. But I'll be straight up with you. George H.W. Bush is probably one of the better contemporary presidents. My Democratic friends would kill me for that. On the flip side, I'm not a huge fan of Bill Clinton, right? So we can rap about, you know, politics on somewhat of a bias, unbiased level. <laughs> you know, like, we, that got to be a different conversation. Um, but, like, <laughs> you know, we try, to, try to provide, you know, some uh, analysis, thoughts, reflections, whatever it is, um, on, on a level that, one is as sort of middle of the road as we can, but then two, our biggest thing here, man, we want to encourage everyone to do their own research, to read on their own, to watch documentaries on their own and, and, and form their own, not necessarily opinions because some of these things don't need opinions formed, they're facts, but there are some other, form your own perspective, I think we can say about a lot of the things um, going on right now. So uh, this is way more for the culture than all 22, but <laughs> um, hey, we it, need man. this, man. Hey, and yeah, hey, I did hey. too. And like you said, this was literally. Man, we talked yesterday. Hey, let's talk about this. There's no script or anything. I didn't even know what you was <laughs> gonna ask me first, and we just started <laughs> talking. So, yeah, we 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 need um, more of these conversational pieces. Yeah. Hey, well, appreciate it, man. Hey, y'all, make sure you uh, check us out again. www.relentless.love um, if you're looking for, you know, some football content, all 22 podcasts, we'll be back with that. I just want to talk quarterback draft rankings, um, you know, next up. Trevor yeah. Lawrence is obviously number one, but number two might surprise you. Um, and then, uh, you know, support our work, support our, you know, everything we got going on. We got merchandise up at the shop, at the website. Uh, we got a couple books out, www.relentless.love. So um, follow us on social media, all that good stuff. We're going to be having more of these conversations. I, I like when football season is over because we just get to wrap a whole lot more. 
So I know it, man. <laughs> hey, we'll check y'all out, man. It's all 22 for the culture. See y'all soon.